Welcome to Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors. I'm your host, Chris McGregor, and I'm delighted to be joined by Anthony Burke-Smith, who is an associate professor and director of the graduate programs in religious studies at the University of Dayton. We go inside the pages of Anthony's book, The Look of Catholics, Portrayals in Popular Culture from the Great Depression to the Cold War, published by the University Press of Kansas. Tony, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. The Look of Catholics, Portrayals in Popular Culture from the Great Depression to the Cold War. Wow. I got so engaged. I thought I was going to be reading this historical tome, but I found myself kind of living through portions of my own life. Just fascinating work. Great. Thank you. Let's talk about the period that you've chosen for this particular book, from the Great Depression to the Cold War. That's it's very specific. It's not the entire 20th century, just that portion of it. Right. And the reason for that is that period was a particularly significant uh, period in 20th century American culture, a very contentious period where uh, understandings of American identity uh, were debated and forged. And so to understand really the, the post-war period, of of uh, America, we need we need to go back into the 30s and, and understand how so much of notions of American identity and American community in the 1940s and 50s were in response to what had preceded it in the 1930s. Uh, very interesting. I think you even have to go back earlier than that to understand why this would be such an important topic to grasp. Because when you look at the 19th century and the Catholic portrayal at that time to see what would happen a hundred years later and how dramatic a shift it would take. It, it, it's really very compelling. Right, right. Oh, yes. Um, it's certainly not the case that only in, in this period, the period that I focus on, uh, when we see images of Catholics in American culture. And in fact, right, as you, as you allude to in the 19th century, there were plenty of, of portrayals of Catholics that were quite hostile uh, the nativists, are going, you know, actually going back to the colonial period, but but in the 19th century, when uh, kind of the dominant normative American normative American culture was construed in Anglo-Saxon terms, Catholics were portrayed as alien, and and in many ways, right, these images, like you know, going my way, as I suggest, is really in some ways engaged in a deep dialogue with that longer, uh, older history of. Uh, nativism and hostile portrayals of Catholics, even to the point where, in going my way, I think one of the most remarkable scenes in this in this film is takes place in the basement, and it's a place where you know Bing Crosby, his father O'Malley, is teaching the kids how to become a choir, and you know that is really upending and overturning older associations of Catholic space as being places of imprisonment or darkness. Mm. Yeah, it it's a remarkable study of era. I guess I, I grew up watching a lot of those movies from the 30s, whether it was Boys Town or just different types of films. Then going into the 40s where you had the Going My Way and those type of portrayals in film. To understand that prior to that, I, just, I kind of want to go back to that 19th century real quick to kind of set the stage. I mean, you had Lyman Beecher, Harry right. Beecher Stowe's father, right. who gave such an anti-Catholic type of portrayal of the danger 
of Catholicism that the next day in the same town, the Ursulines were attacked and their their convent burned down. That type of vitriol, the Maria Monk, her portrayal, that set a real ugly stage against Catholics during that period. That's right. That's right. And so it's all the more remarkable that which led me to this study that, you know, by the 30s and then 40s, in, in a country with this history, hostility, suspicion at least, if not outright hostility to, to Catholics, that by the 30s and 40s, you have in Hollywood and other places in popular culture, not only prevalent images of the widespread images of Catholics, but they're deeply Americanized, and they are resonating beyond Catholics. You can imagine why some of these images might appeal to Catholics at the time, but these are having an impact in the wider popular culture and popular imagination, and that's kind of what led me into this study, to see, given this history that you've just, we've just been talking about, that by the 30s and 40s, we're talking about something very different. Okay, so the the nation up to the 1930s was very hostile towards Catholics. Why was there a need for America to have this appreciation of the Catholic identity, which would ultimately, not only in film, but on radio, and in print culture, i.e. Life magazine? Right, right. Well... A lot of this has to do with the nature and character of popular culture itself as it developed, particularly the mass media in the 20th century. Much of, of mass media, the popular culture that emerged in the 20th century to really reshape America, emerged out of urban ethnic communities and were, was a product of uh, urban ethnic Americans themselves and uh, the results of their own labor and their own imaginations. And so popular culture becomes a place where many outsiders could could uh, kind of lay claim to, to America. And the reason why the 30s and 40s are so important is that by this period, America itself had become an urban nation, industrialized, no longer simply uh, an agrarian society. By the 1920s, more Americans were living in cities than in rural areas. And so what's going on in the 30s and 40s is that America itself is being remade for social demographic reasons into a more diverse society, uh, ethnically and religiously diverse. And so popular culture becomes a way to articulate new understandings of America, ones that are more attuned to ethnic voices and sensibilities, and literally the voices, because by the 30s you've got sound film. And part of the reason why films become really the American past is that American audiences, many of them themselves urban and ethnic and from minority religious traditions, could see themselves and hear themselves on screen. They're remaking the society at a time when the society itself is becoming more urban, ethnically and religiously diverse and industrial period of the 1930s, as you point out in the book, is the time of the New Deal. The Great Depression is occurring, and that imagery in that popular culture to kind of refashion how we think about ourselves would lead us to that communal nature and the care of the com- the common good for all that the Catholic Church represented. So you would either have, with a Spencer Tracy portrayals of the priest, whether it was even in San Francisco, or in particular in Boys Town, where he is the voice of virtue uh, right. crying out, and you know that we should care about one another. Those Catholic tones, not only in the rep- representation of priests, 
but also of those Catholic filmmakers like Frank Capra, who would bring us, right. you know, ultimately those care for the greater good films. Right, right. And so, so, so people like Capra and Ford um, and others in these images of, of Catholics and Catholic communities or Catholic priests rooted in communal settings help to articulate values of mutuality and cooperation in the communal at a time in America where those w- were quite compelling in the 1930s, where you know, rugged individualism of the 1920s had been discredited because of the devastations of the Depression. Uh, fascinating. Well, let's, let's talk a little bit more specifically about some of those persons, and in particular, how about Bing Crosby? Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. I mean that he was the quintessential icon for that Catholic uh, entertainer actor. Uh, right. Uh, right. The, he was the right. face of it. Right. Right. And, and you know, of course, his portrayal in in Going My Way. Uh, this was pretty surprising. That you know, Bing Crosby by this time had um, a very successful career as as a singer. He had a radio program. He was also a movie star. But the idea of Bing Crosby playing a priest this was something that kind of took everybody by surprise. And of course, Crosby was drawing uh, in part upon his own background, growing up an Irish American Catholic in in the Northwest. Uh, he went to um, Gonzaga High School and uh, for college. He went to Gonzaga University, and he left just before he graduated to pursue uh, a music career. And so you have this 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 very popular singer, and you know Gary Giddings, who has written a wonderful writing a wonderful biography of of Crosby. Uh, his first volume has been published. Is really qu- quite uh, good at at uh, really showing just how crucial Crosby himself was to the emergence of, of popular uh, music in, in this period. So you have this popular musical star drawing upon his own experience of Catholicism to play a Catholic priest. I don't think you can underestimate, too, the value of the radio shows, those, right. those programs that would go into homes every day, and those entertainers who are Catholic... Uh, very openly sharing their Catholic expression through those programs, like Bing right. Crosby. Right. Catholic radio was, well, radio was crucial to, for Crosby's own career, right? And also, you know, as I, as I um, point out, that in Going My Way, we hear the voice of Bing Crosby before we even see him, mm-hmm. which, you know, moviegoers would have been quite familiar with uh, um, Crosby's voice since he was you know, the, the famous crooner at the time. But you're right, and radio was really crucial part as well to the Catholic community, the kind of the Catholic public sphere at the time, um, not only obviously with the famous um, uh, Father Coughlin in the early 30s, but, but the Catholic Hour, uh, which gave Fulton Sheen his kind of start in the national. Archbishop Fulton Sheen. Now, mm-hmm. there is someone who just along with uh, the other great Catholic communicators of the time, took that medium and really uh, reached out and set a, a real, uh, what do I want to say, Tony, an example for others, the expression of virtue for Catholics? Oh, Yashin is, is such a complex, fascinating figure, which is, I think is why, you know, he still um, commands such interest. Yeah, he, he realized... You know, the thing about Sheen, right, is that he um, starts out his career as a Catholic philosopher, um, mm-hmm. trained in Europe at Louvain, and um, 
but I think he sensed early on the power of this new society of mass media and uh, how it could be used to reach people. And he does that first with uh, the Catholic Hour through the 1930s and 40s. And, you know, Sheen, when we think about Catholic radio, right, we think about Father Coughlin, particularly in the 1930s. And I think Sheen deliberately tried to create an alternative to Coughlin. Um, Sheen, you know, offered a kind of erudite, more uh, kind of effort at a sophisticated uh, Catholic voice, and yet one that spoke directly to ordinary people. I think that's where his success lay, the way he was able to speak in a kind of vernacular, a Catholic vernacular, but one also that was deeply rooted in uh, the Catholic tradition. Uh, he would make many references to philosophers and thinkers uh, and, and artists of uh, the modern period in, in his talks. Yeah, he seemed to really appeal to the, a broad audience, I mean, whether they were the the person sitting around uh, the, the radio at home or if it were the the intellectual in the urban area, he just he his appeal was in the truest sense a mass appeal. Right, and 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 he was also quite dramatic. It can be quite dramatic. He had uh, an ability to really kind of you know capture the imagination through his talks and through his presentation. Another priest, too, that we probably have to give hats off to is Father Patrick Payton. And That's right. That's he was right. one who really knew the value of networking. I mean, he, we talk about that social networking and utilizing that. What we do now today in the 21st century, whether it's through the Internet or television, however, Father Patrick Payton was doing that with personalities and the uh, Hollywood and New York, and then utilizing that to get that message out through the media. That's right. That's right. Um, and yeah, so I mean, Father Flanagan and then uh, Bishop Sheen and, and Father Peyton, you know, you start adding up these people and you can kind of really see that it, at this particular historical moment, there are a number of Catholics very prominent on in public life and in the mass media. And also, you can't discount those individual Catholics who would rise up in the media that would become the directors of films and the producers of films. And, you know, we mentioned Frank Capra, but John Ford. Right. You can really see his that Catholic expression, not just in the obvious films like A, A Quiet Man, but right. in his westerns. Right, right, right. Yeah, John Ford is uh, uh, really... Um, you know, he's one of the great film directors that America has produced in the 20th century that Hollywood produced. Um, you know, as I argue in my, in my book, uh, I, I think much of his understanding of America and his cinematic portrayal of America is rooted either explicitly, but even more important, I think, implicitly in how he imagines America, rooted in his Irish-American Catholicism. Ford has been the subject of, of, of enormous amount of study, but one of the areas that's often overlooked is his sensitivity to religion, and it doesn't have to be Catholic religion, but his awareness in his portrayals of American society, even in his westerns, of the that that people are religious, that religious institutions and religious practices constitute part of the social landscape of America, and I would argue that's rooted in in the fact. In, in his identity as an Irish-American Catholic at a time when Irish-Americans were still, Irish-American Catholics 
were still considered outsiders and only at that time making the transition from outsiders to insiders. Yeah, I think that's an important point. It, there are those who will write a novel and say, I'm a Catholic writer, so this is a Catholic book, as opposed to someone who writes a novel and it, you see the expression of their faith in that particular work. It's not necessarily an overtly Catholic book, but you see the underpinnings of it, the Catholic faith of the author throughout right. the work. That's right. It's kind of implied, it's, uh, or it could be kind of um, a sensibility or an orientation, or it can be kind of the ways that, that uh, certain subjects get accented f- from, a, from an ethnic religious perspective. You really see that, again, in works of Frank Capra and John Ford, but you also see that in the works of Leo McCary, who I've, it's not a name that drips off the tongue of everyone when they think of Hollywood film, but we've seen his movies over and over right. again, haven't we? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely right. I mean, you think about um, uh, McCary um, and Capra in the 1930s, two of the leading figures in screwball and romantic comedies. And they were both ethnic Catholics. Uh, that doesn't mean their films are explicitly religious, but again, I think that's the kind of ethnic religious difference that helps inform the way they um, they tell their stories, the way they narrate society, and the way they imagine America. And and so, I mean, a movie like you know, um, uh, like Love Affair, right, was one of McCary's films. But you know, Catholicism played a role in that movie. And even a movie like Ruggles of Red Gap, religion doesn't play a role. But as I try to argue in, in, in my book, right, it seems to me there's a deep kind of, um, you know, sensitivity to difference, to outsiders coming into America and that story of old world, new world that I think uh, many Catholics were sensitive to informs uh, much of McCary's work. Now, you talk about a transition of portrayal between the 1930s up, up to the Cold War that would occur. And Leo McCary probably is the most dramatic representation of that in that we have in the early 40s going my way with Bing Crosby, but then we would have the transition into the 50s with one of, I think, one of the, a very provocative film. I just I sit and I watch it, and my, my jaw drops open occasionally, is My Son John. Right. I mean, right. I, that's a movie you don't hear people talk often of, and what got me originally was that Helen Hayes was in it, and her portrayal right. in it was so stunning. But the, the story itself, it as you point out, it is... The, the negative, it's almost the exact opposite of going my way, and it's produced by the same person. Right, right, yeah, and, and Leo McCary managed to get Helen Hayes, you know, a very well-established and well-regarded um, actress, you know, on stage, managed to get her back, to come back to the movies to, to play the role of the mother. Uh, right, yeah, I mean, I think that the trajectory of McCary's career really kind of highlights in a very kind of concentrated way, some of these changes going on in popular culture, in movies, and in America during this period of time. Uh, it's a, you know, it's really a film noir, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. My Son John very much is a, is a film noir, um, that kind of exuberance of McCary's films like The Awful Truth of the 1930s and his screwball and romantic comedies have been drained out under these real deep anxieties about Cold War anxieties. Yeah, it really shows the transition when you when you look at a Leo McCary films. I mean, that is he's the most dramatic of them all, I think. 
mm-hmm. of from the, right. yeah from the 1930s to the 1950s. You can almost, if you were to sit down and just take a whole afternoon watching the transition into the films, it takes you into that that period of the the 1930s where they're trying to find an identity. And we have to take care of ourselves to that point of wow, can you trust the neighbor next door to you? It is no, right, right. Actually, that would be that would be a wonderful way to spend a weekend. It's just, just you know, one weekend go through all of the carry films like that. Yeah, from beginning to end. Right. What's the the most startling aspect of that transition for you? One of the things that I was really startled with was really in, with and when I was doing my research for the chapter on Life magazine mm. and to see the dramatic change in representations in Life magazine and how it portrayed. Catholicism in these decades, um, and in the 30s when the magazine, in the, in the late 30s when the magazine is first starting up, you know all the kind of stereotypes of Catholics as superstitious and you know um, uh, uh, a religion of you know urban pathology uh, of, of uh, crowds and mobs is right there. Um, well, you know, Catholics are always on their knees. You know, they can't stand up for themselves. That kind of, that kind of thing. But then, by the time you get to the '40s, '50s, dramatically different. They're really Americanized uh, um, in those kind of conventional ways. Um, and uh, you rarely see Catholics on their knees. You know, in in, in you know uh, in that uh, in, in that uh, you know gesture that you know is part of Catholic practice. Um, and it's almost as though Life magazine became anxious that if they portrayed Catholics on their knees, that would undercut what they were trying to communicate about Catholics, that they could be American in a certain way. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting, too. Life magazine, of course, being owned by Henry Luce, his wife, Claire Booth Luce, who right. would have a quite the dramatic conversion story right. to Catholicism through Fulton Sheen. Right, right. In fact, so the Luces are part of this story about these, these you know, the Luces and Catholics and, and Catholicism really, uh, I think, I can highlight that, you know, the, that Catholics are part of these larger cultural changes reshaping America in the 40s and 50s. Yeah, it, it was a wonderful read, and I, I have a feeling I'm going to be going back again and again to the, the look of Catholics' portrayals in popular culture from the Great Depression to the Cold War. And again, I'm very excited that you left it between those two periods, I mean, between the Great Depression and the Cold War, and, and didn't necessarily try to tell us where we are today in this particular book. Just because well, thank I... thank you very much. Yeah, I just think that it... Now, I'm kind of curious to know what we would be from the Cold War to the present time now. Right. Yes. Um, that might need to be another book. Um, well, you know, much has changed, right, mm-hmm. um, in, in the subsequent decades. Much has changed in Catholicism, also in, in, in the ways that popular culture operates, right? You know, mm-hmm. so for instance, in films, right, the, um, you know, in the period that I wrote about, you know, Hollywood was was characterized by a number of major studios, right? Mm-hmm. Um, now Hollywood is so so dramatically different. Yes, there are the same studios, but the whole kind of media landscape has changed so dramatically that it's kind of hard to see these kind of images um, being produced in, in the ways they were then. And, of course, America itself has changed, too, right? And Catholics themselves um, have become... Uh, um, 
so thoroughly assimilated in, into society, right? In the 30s and 40s, they were still considered outsiders, right? I mean, Al right. Smith in 1928 ran for president and uh, his Catholicism was an issue. That really hung over, I think, much of, of the period that I was uh, writing about. Uh, but of course, we live in a very different period now, right? But I, I guess I would say one thing, any kind of his, cultural history of Catholics in America and popular culture, this, the 60s and 70s would, of course, need to need to address Pope John Paul II, right? because he was such a, such a remarkable figure uh, in so many ways, right? And just one would be, of course, that um, he was an actor, right? He right. was an actor. He, uh, in a way, he performed his Catholicism. And when I mean that, I don't mean to kind of reduce him to just a performance. In fact, just the opposite. I think as an actor, he understood the power of representation and symbol. And that became so crucial to his own efforts as Pope. You know, you think about all the trips he took in those dramatic those dramatic stances and, 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 and uh, that dramatic presence of the Pope, uh, he, he himself became a major, maybe the, the Catholic uh, figure of the mass media in the um, last two decades of the 20th century. Yeah, just fascinating. I, again, that particular period when you look before how it was such a negative, but at a time when the country was on the verge of yet another collapse. I mean, after the period of the Civil War, here we come towards the Depression, and the country is collapsing along with most of the world on itself because of its economic structures. It appeals to that community nature, that communal nature, that encouragement of the care of the Catholic community, how it would go to that and use that to inspire that in later generations— it would turn on that, uh, you know, like the 60s and the 70s. It would, the portrayals would become an attack on that very almost paternal, patristic source. Right. By the 60s and 70s, you, you get a, a whole, you know, another generation, actually of Catholic filmmakers too, right? You know, you mm-hmm. think about Coppola and, and Scorsese, um, very successful filmmakers, and they kind of, you know, uh, their work is kind of uh, engaged in a deconstruction of of the images from the previous generation. Um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, some of Scorsese's work, I'm thinking of Mean Streets, that early film of his from the early 70s. Um, so, I mean, that movie is in some sense a, a dialogue with Going My Way, uh, shifting now from the priest to, you know, if one wants to kind of imagine, you know, the Harvey Keitel character as, you know, one of those kind of kids that, that Bing Crosby mentored. Scorsese mm-hmm. now, now explores the urban ethnic community from his perspective and from the priest. Fascinating. Oh, could talk to you all day, Tony. Oh, uh, well, thank you. The look of Catholics' portrayals in popular culture from the Great Depression to the Cold War makes me want to go out and let's have a Leo McCary Film Festival. Hey, that That's, would be great. Wouldn't that, that would be, be great. fun? Just that the, would be great. the commentary on that. We'd have a lot of popcorn, a lot of laughs, and well, in some of the cases, movies kind of heart wrenching tears too. So yes, indeed. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. We've been going inside the pages of Anthony Burke Smith's *The Look of Catholics: Portrayals in Popular Culture from the Great Depression to the Cold War*. Anthony's book can be purchased at www.kansaspress.com ku.edu or at any fine Catholic bookstore. 
To hear and download this discussion along with many others, please visit www.insidethepages.com. I'm Chris McGregor. Join me next time for Inside the Pages, insights from today's most compelling authors.